God, we thank you for this time where we get to be together today in your presence. And Lord, I pray that as we are gathered here together, Lord, that we would remember um, that just as we gather here, there's a whole world outside that is waiting to meet you face to face. God, would this not be the only encounter that we have with you this week? God, we love you, and we're grateful for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I can't dance, so I'm not gonna keep trying to do that. <laughs> okay, nobody's really laughing. It's kind of a weird, it's, ever, it's just too hot today, like we can't, don't move, don't touch anything, dance, laughing inside. Dance, 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 dance. Yikes. Yikes, yikes. Amanda, I can get Amanda up here. <laughs> okay, so I don't know how many of you are very well versed in preaching, in uh, writing a sermon, but it takes something, right? So I kind of liken it to when you were in high school or middle school maybe, college even, when you had to write a speech, you know, but it, instead of this just being a speech and me talking at you, it also has to like, do something inside, you know? I have to rely on the Holy Spirit to, to lead you just as much as he's leading me. And I wrestled with this sermon this week. Okay, there are some weeks where sermons come and they're easy. And you get a piece of scripture and it, there's just this fire inside you and you get ignited and you get excited about what you're preaching about. And this week, this sermon challenged me. I struggled and I will tell you that the version that you're getting today is not the version that I had planned. It's not the version that I had practiced, but it's the version that I need to tell you. It's the version that the Lord needs me to speak. And I'll tell you that that happens sometimes. And I think that you're pretty familiar with this too in your life. You practice something, you plan it a certain way, and the Lord says, well, I mean, that was great, but I think I can do it better. I think these things need to change. And you're like, Lord, but, but I planned. <laughs> but God, it's in concrete. And he says, well, is it really? <laughs> and you say, oh, you win this time. <laughs> he wins every time, I would hope. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Uh, this sermon, though, began for me a few weeks ago when we were at district conference. And what district conference is, is just a meeting of a bunch of pastors where they get yelled at by their boss. Um, we don't get yelled at. It was actually a lot better than that. But Billy, our district superintendent, preached a sermon there. And he based it off of these rules that John Wesley, we are Wesleyans in this church, that John Wesley had for the preachers that he employed. And there were 12 rules, but there was one of them that was incredibly important and that it far surpassed the rest of the rules. And I wanna tell you that rule today. It's called rule number 11. And when Billy preached, I know it's very, you know, it's a good, good name, right? When Billy preached on this sermon, this convicted me and it hurt my heart because I knew that something had to change in my own life. I knew that something had to be different. This is the rule. You have nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work and go always, not only to those who want you, but to those who want you most. 
This was one of John Wesley's 12 most important things that he said to the people who were preaching. And that was great. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I don't preach. So why does that matter to me? But if you take a moment, doesn't that kind of sound like another piece of, of advice, a challenge that we've been given? Doesn't that kind of sound like a word from Christ? I thought so too, the Great Commission. Doesn't that sound like go and make disciples of all nations? See, this Rule 11 is so important because it harkens back to that same rule. Go and make disciples of all nations. And when John Wesley said, you have nothing to do but to save souls, it broke my heart a little bit. Because on my agenda are a lot of things that I think that I have to do, are a lot of things that get in the way of that rule, are a lot of commitments that I've made that don't seem to serve that. And that is not a nice thing to hear. And that hurts to hear, but I wonder if some of you are in the same boat with me. I wonder if some of you would say, you know, I struggle with that too. So today, in this sermon series called One Hit Wonders, part du, or volume du, whichever, we're going to be talking about one simple concept. And I say simple, knowing that the implications far outweigh the words themselves. But simple. Not easy. Simple. And today, we're going to talk about what it means to love offensively to love offensively. And that sounds like something I shouldn't be telling you to do, doesn't it? Sounds like, hey idiot, Jesus loves you. <laughs> and that's not what I mean. <laughs> I'll just clear that up right now, dispel that and you believe that that is what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a concept that we actually have on the wall over here. What I'm talking about is a counter-cultural, counter-intuitive way of loving. I would argue that this is the way that Jesus loves. And I could pick any story from scripture to support that. I really could. I could pick the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan, whose life changed because Jesus spoke to her. I could pick the story of the woman about to be stoned to death for adultery, whose life changed because Jesus intervened. I could speak about the man who was demon-possessed, whose life changed because Jesus loved him. I could pick any story out of scripture to tell you, but today I think there's one that we need to hear. And it comes from Matthew chapter 21, which is where we will be. Before I tell you this story, I need to give you some context for what you're looking at. I need to give you a little bit of background. See, right before this story, we have the story of Jesus riding into town, into Jerusalem on a donkey. And we call this the triumphant entry. People are praising him. They are calling him son of David, which is an incredible honor. Do you know what son of David means? It means king. They're referring to Christ as king, and they're laying palm branches down before him, and their clothes, their jackets down before him as he rides to town on a donkey. And he is swirling and swimming in a sea of their praise. And then the next thing that happens is this story. 
And I want to be clear about the perspective of this. At the end of this same week, Jesus dies on a cross. We have the triumphant entry, and we have this story, which leads directly to that moment at the end of the week where the world fully experiences darkness. Matthew 21, and we're going to start in verse 12. And it says this, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you Lord have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. This is a weird story. I'll just be the first to say it. (laughs) This is a story where it kind of seems like Jesus loses control. And I will tell you that this story is popular, not just in Christian circles, it's popular in the secular world. This story has been cited to me several times as the reason that people think that Jesus is not without sin. Because he had an emotional outburst, and so somehow that was wrong. So what's going on? What is the undercurrent of what's happening here? I think you need some information about this story to put it into perspective for you. Why this emotional outburst was absolutely necessary. And why we see a side of Jesus that we don't often like to see in this story. We like Jesus sitting with children on his lap or tending the sheep, or picking grain with his hand. We like people getting upset about how gentle Jesus is. We like the picture of Jesus that says, he wears a white robe and has a long beard. We don't really like this Jesus. This Jesus is intimidating. This Jesus who walks into a temple and flips tables. I don't understand that Jesus. Okay, so context, right? Context is key in all of this. And I'm going to show you a picture of the temple. I'm going to back up and be amongst you guys because I need you to to see. Okay, so numbers 1 through 11 are inside the temple. So the temple is structured and built so that the closer that you get to the number 1, the closer you are to the Holy of Holies, the closer you are to the place that the Lord dwells. And so we see as we're coming out, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Number 12, down in that bottom right corner, number 12 outside the actual temple building. That's the setting of our story. It's called the Court of Gentiles. It's outside the actual building in a court, a courtyard. That's what that is. And so I need you to see the level of distance that there is between 1 and 12. Because if you weren't Jewish, you weren't allowed in the temple. Because if you weren't Jewish, number 12 is the closest that you could get to God. And that is the setting for our story. 
Number 12, the court of Gentiles. Right, and we find this picture here of people selling things, selling animals to be sacrificed. And this is my table. <laughs> so if you'd like to purchase anything after service, let me know. <laughs> it's all right here. I will, please forgive me. Okay, some of these animals look like they've already been sacrificed. That's because they're dog toys. Uh, and so <laughs> I took them from my house where our dogs love to chew, and it's very sad. So this duck is, you know, you can get there with me. <laughs> so this duck represents a dove. The lamb represents a lamb. Um, and the narwhal represents all of the other animals that I don't know were there, <laughs> but that I'm sure were. Um, <laughs> so here we go. Here is my table of sacrifices. And we see this picture of a place of worship the closest place that if you were not Jewish, you could get to worshiping God. We see it overrun with people selling things. We see it overrun with people selling sacrifices. And that doesn't seem that weird, does it? Because the temple is a place where you can sacrifice. Doesn't seem that bad. But I would say that the first reason that Jesus gets so upset in this moment is because of the price of these animals. William Barclay, who is a famous Bible scholar, he puts it this way. He says, a pair of doves could cost as little as four pence outside the temple and as much as 75 pence inside the temple. That's almost 20 times the amount. 20 times. And so these people are being robbed. These people are not, in fact, getting the deal of a lifetime. And in fact, outside the temple courts, there were people who raised animals solely for the purpose of sacrificing them. Solely for the purpose of them being clean enough to take to the temple. And outside the temple, you could get these same animals for much cheaper. Because the sacrificial system was built by God. It wasn't built to rob men. It wasn't built so that other people could make a profit off of a system the Lord put in place, a heartbreaking system. And so the first reason that we see for Jesus being so upset in this story is that he's angry, that the people who are buying these animals are being robbed. But the second thing you have to consider is the people who are here, the people who are buying these animals. These are people who cannot get any closer to the Lord physically than where they are. They cannot enter the temple, and so they have the court of Gentiles. These are people whose sin stands before them, and they aren't the chosen people of God, so they can't go any further. And this starts to look like a barrier, doesn't it? It starts to look like a reminder of what stands between me and the Lord. And if this is a place of worship, and that is the only thing that I see, and I can't see past it, starts to become a really sad place. The court of Gentiles where they couldn't get any closer. These are people who are not Jewish by heritage, but these are people who know of their need for the Lord. And before them, 
is a reason why they can't get there. So not only are these people being robbed, but the people who are selling these animals at 20 times the price are taking advantage of the weak. And what do we know about Jesus? Man, his heart is for the weak. His heart is for the downtrodden. His heart is for the people who can't enter the temple on their own. But there's a third thing that's happening here. But for this one, I need you guys to participate. And I'm telling you, it's not going to work if you don't participate, okay? So <laughs> think in your head of something that you have in your house that you could sell me. And I, I don't, I'm not going to buy it. There are no actual transactions being made. Please don't hold me to anything because I am not agreeing to it. Okay, but think of something in your house that you could sell me. And in your best salesman voice, I need you to sell it to me all at once, okay? Don't do it yet. Okay. I saw some of you getting ready to yell, and I got scared. Don't do it yet. Okay, I'll tell you when to stop. But I need you to convince me that I need it. I need you to do whatever you can to sell this object to me, okay? All right, one, two, three. Let's go. I'm hearing a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's a lot of faces. Yep, good salesman. Okay, stop. First off, excellent. You guys are great salespeople. Where are you at Kmart? Oh, too late. (laughs) Too late. But secondly, imagine this room but more people. And imagine that I am in the position of walking up to the temple. And here you are all trying to sell me something. Here you are all trying to tell me that your animal is the cleanest in town. That your animal, that sacrifice will be something that the Lord will love. Do you think that if I knelt down in a room like that, that I could hear the voice of God? Maybe if he was yelling. But a place of worship became a place impossible to worship. I would say that these three things all contribute to this moment. To this moment where we see Jesus' love for the people. And where he says, I can't stand for this, are you kidding me? This temple is a place of worship And these people know that they need God. These people are here of their own volition. They're not even Jews. And they're sitting here trying to seek the voice of God. And this den of robbers is just echoing all around them. And they can't hear him. And suddenly this story makes a lot more sense. That for the love of the people, Jesus says, you have to go. He says, we can't do it like that. This is a place for my people, and you have defiled it. You have made it into something it was never meant to be. And what happens after, what happens at this moment after Jesus explodes? Something beautiful. Go back to verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. That's beautiful. 
of the people that the teachers of the law wouldn't even come out to see. He touched them and he healed them. And he said, I love them enough that I will take away the barrier, that I will flip this table over. And if I am a Pharisee in that moment, I'm embarrassed. And it says here, verse 15, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were embarrassed. There was a lot of pride in that room because the people who had been entrusted to care for the temple hadn't done so. Because the people who were in charge of leading the people of Israel had done a bad job. And here is this guy who they already don't like. And he flips tables in their temple. And I want to tell you there has never been a more countercultural thing. Because this temple is everything to the Jewish people. This temple is everything. This is where God resides. And Jesus comes in here and he destroys a part of it. And they have a history that says that when people come to destroy the temple, it's often not for love. In fact, I would say this is the only time that it was ever for love. And this is when the plot to kill Jesus begins. The plot to really do something about what they're seeing. And when I'm talking about loving offensively, this is the picture that I want you to have. Of Jesus loving those people enough to overturn tables so that they can hear the voice of God. So that maybe for the first time they see his face in that temple. That is absolutely countercultural, and that is absolutely counterintuitive, because this is the thing that led to his death. This is the action that led the Pharisees to put plans to their words. When I'm talking about loving offensively, I'm not talking about being mean to people. I'm talking about getting these barriers out of the way so that they can experience the Lord. I'm talking about counter-cultural, counter-intuitive love. What does this mean for us? This is a hard truth to wrestle with. What does this mean for us? It means we gotta get rid of some stuff. And I have some examples, and for some of them, you're gonna have to use that old imagination because uh, they're not great. But look, this is a blanket. It represents comfort, okay? Sometimes we let comfort get in the way. We say, Jesus, I can hear you talking to me. I can hear you urging me to go speak to that person, but it makes me uncomfortable. I can't do that. And this is both sides. Sometimes other people are uncomfortable talking to you. And man, you, you never get really a great response when you tell people who don't know, yeah, I'm a pastor. Man, way to shut up a crowd. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I'll tell you from experience. Comfort. We let that get in the way. We let this become a barrier. But there are other things. 
And I would say one of those is knowledge. Contemporary mathematics book. Don't even know why this is in our house. Okay, but it was. We let knowledge get in the way. We say, well, Lord, you don't understand. They believe in evolution and they think that they have all of the answers and so nothing that I can say can really change their mind. And that might be true. But you know what can change their mind is your friendship anyway. And you know what can change their mind is a relationship with a person who believes the most absurd things. <laughs> but man, do they believe them with their whole heart. We let knowledge get in the way. And sometimes it's security or safety. We let that get in the way. Did you know that there are 55 countries in the world where it is illegal to have a Bible? And that in a lot of those places where it's illegal to have the word of God, the penalty is death. If you're caught with scripture, you could die. And did you know that there are people whose whole lives they spend taking the word of God into those countries because they believe that it means something? Because they believe that the risk is far surpassed by the blessing that is on the other side, by people receiving the word of God. People live their whole lives trying to get their hands on a Bible, which we take so for granted. And they may only get to hold it one time in their life. 55 countries, guys. That's insane. We won't even go to Platt Walmart. Sometimes it's our time. And we talked about this last week, so I know that you guys know the drill on this one. But we would rather spend our time doing something else. We say, yeah, Lord, that's great. I, I could volunteer at that shelter. I could do a whole lot of things with my time, but I'll tell you what I want to do today. <laughs> and it is beat my high score. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, man, ooh, you're my kid. Our time, this becomes a barrier. And sometimes, and this is where you're going to have to stretch with me, um, it's the only bearded man I could find in our house. <laughs> sometimes it's our family. We let our family become a stumbling block. We say, I can't set that example for my kid because if I go and talk to that person that they don't know, then I can't very well tell them not to talk to the people that they don't know. And how can I be sure that they're going to be safe because this is my first priority. I have to protect them. I can't encourage them to dream big. I can't encourage them to be a missionary. I can't encourage them to leave the house without letting me know. Or even on the other side of it, if I do this, they will be disappointed in me. I have let this one get to me before, and I can tell you firsthand, it does nothing but stifle you. When you are so consumed with what other people will say that you don't do what the Lord asks you to do, that is hard. Stick that one right in there. This one represents fear. And I probably don't have to explain this one very much because I think we know. We know when I say this what it means. God, I can't commit to that because I don't know what the outcome will be. This one goes hand in hand with safety and security. Surely it does. 
But it also goes hand in hand with the next one. And that's prejudice. We let what we believe other people to be tarnish what God would have us do in their lives. I don't like the look of that guy. Or, you know what? I have experience with people like him. And we let this get in the way. You know, man, they live on the bad side of union. Folks, that's us, <laughs> for one. Man, he looks like he just wouldn't accept the word of God, so I'm not even going to try. Or, man, those illegals coming into our country. I've heard that one. That's a pretty popular one right now. We let prejudice get in the way. And these last two are hard. Um, this is uh, Mount Rushmore, but it's like the backside of Mount Rushmore. Isn't that fun? Um, there's butts on it. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, <laughs> uh, we let politics get in the way. We let politics get in the way of us loving people that Jesus has asked us to love. You know what I never read in scripture? Jesus' political beliefs. Amazing. But I could go to almost anybody's Facebook and see them. Just pretty cool, I guess. And I hear this on both sides, so I'm not attacking any one person. I hear libtards all the time. And I also hear, man, those Republicans are stuffy and they don't care about people. On both sides. We let politics get in the way, but the last one, the last one is a big one. It's our hurt. Did you know that for many years I couldn't be friends with women? Because in my past, there were some girls who had hurt me. And I let this, my hurt, become the ultimate barrier. And in fact, it caused me a lot more pain than it ever did good. My pain is too great. I can't do that, Lord. I can't overcome that because I am in pain. We let this become a barrier. And this is just a handful of things. But look at this. Where once there was an empty table between you and I, now there's a wall. And if somebody were to stand here and try to have a conversation with me, what would they see? They would see a barrier. And when I'm talking about loving offensively, I'm talking about getting rid of this stuff. I'm talking about saying no. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> I will not let that stuff be a barrier to the way that I love you. I will not let that be a reason why you can't see Jesus. We have to walk away from this. And in this series about one hit wonders, the easiest mistake that we could ever make is to only love people who look like us. Is to only love people who don't challenge us. It's to only love people who we don't have to walk across the street for. This kind of love, it's offensive, yeah, in that it's countercultural and it's counterintuitive, but it also costs you something. And I want to be clear about that. It costs Jesus his life. But the beginning of him flipping tables, do you know what that led to? That led to the veil and the Holy of Holies being torn from top to bottom. 
That led to the Holy Spirit of the Lord flooding our earth. And so it is, it is costly to love this way. Absolutely. It is costly when it's inconvenient for us and when it requires so much more than just doing what we want to do, but it is beautiful. And people see the face of God when we love this way. Have you ever paused to consider that the Jesus that we love so much was hated in scripture? And have you ever thought about what if that same Jesus was alive and walking with us today? Would I like him? Because that Jesus would challenge me. And we can see it in hindsight, and we can see all of the ways that the Pharisees were wrong, but can we see how we're wrong? Can we see how many barriers we have put up in the name of self-preservation, in the name of hiding from my past, in the name of being uncomfortable? How many barriers do we put up? See, I have my theories about whether or not we would like this Jesus. My guess is probably no. But this church will never grow, and you will never fulfill the call of the Lord to go and make disciples and nations unless you say yes to this kind of love. Unless you say yes to the kind of love that makes you walk across a room you don't want to walk across. And to forgive people that you don't want to forgive because it still hurts. This kind of love pushes you outside of yourself, outside of your limits, outside of your boundaries, into a place where the Holy Spirit provides. This kind of love makes a difference in the world. But the kind of love that says, I only love people who are like me, doesn't. It can make a difference, maybe, in your day-to-day, -day, but not make a difference for a life. And what happened when Jesus pushed all of those barriers out of the way was that people came to him. And why do we not give Jesus that opportunity? And I don't want you to walk away from this place feeling discouraged and feeling like, man, I'm the worst person on the planet. I don't want that. That same power that lived in Christ to be able to walk bold-faced into a situation he knew was not going to go well, that same spirit lives in you. And each one of us is given an opportunity to make a difference for somebody, to make a difference in how the world views us. And so all I'm suggesting is that if we choose to love offensively, maybe we can be the loudest voices in the room. Maybe we can make that difference. I'm going to invite the worship team back up, but as I do, I just want to leave you with two questions. There are two sides to this coin, two sides to this conversation. My first question is this, is there a barrier in your life that keeps you from showing the love of God to those who need him? If that's you, I need you to camp in that spot. I need you to put your bookmark there and I need you to ask the Lord for help. The second question is, is there a barrier in somebody else's life 
that I can remove? Is there a barrier in somebody else's life that I can obliterate so they can see the face of Jesus? And if that's you, I need you to camp there. But there are two sides to this. There's an internal struggle and there's an external struggle and we have to address them both, but the internal has to be first. Is there a barrier in me that keeps me from sharing the love of God with people who need him? I'm gonna pray for us. God, this story of the Gentiles is my story. It's every story of the people sitting here in this church. Once we couldn't get to you, but Jesus, because of your sacrifice, now we're able to. And Lord, we want to be that difference. We want to make the choice to love how you loved. Would you help us? Holy Spirit, just as you dove out of that temple and encompassed the world on that day that the veil was torn, we ask that you do that with our lives. Lord, would you wreck our lives for your name? Would you challenge us to go to places that we don't want to go? To do things that we don't want to do, but that you need us to? Would you give us the strength to be people who love as you loved? To love offensively and wholeheartedly and authentically? God, we love you. And we trust that you will empower us where you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.